0: Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast. You are now listening to Season 6 of the show. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Gemma Adams. Gemma is a Chartered Legal Executive Advocate and Accredited Police Station Representative at Tucker's Solicitors. She has over 10 years' worth of experience in criminal law and as a criminal paralegal. Gemma is also the Founder and Director and Secretary of Women in Law, Kent. Previously, Gemma worked as a Legal Secretary at Waitman's, Strether Solicitors and Fairweather's LLP. So a very, very warm welcome, Gemma.
1: Thank you very much. What a lovely
0: introduction. Uh, It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Before we dive into all your amazing projects and experiences to date, we do have a customary icebreaker question here on the Legally Speaking Podcast, which is, on the scale of 1 to 10, 10 being very real, what would you rate the hit TV series Suits in terms of its reality?
1: I'm afraid I have never seen Suits. (laughs) (laughs) So I have no idea. I tend to stick to a more gritty drama, so I'm more of a Peaky Blinders kind of girl rather than a suits, I'm afraid. So, And plus, it's an American one, isn't it? Well,
0: there is an American, and yes, you're absolutely right, it is. And so with that, we're going to give it a zero, but I also want to put it on the record. I'm a big (laughs) Peaky Blinders fan as well. So let's go to the beginning, Gemma. Would you mind telling our listeners a bit about your background and career journey?
1: Yeah, so I won't go back too far. But my sort of legal journey really started as I left school. I mean, I had a couple of years after school, um, working in administration and customer service and and sort of building my secretarial skills, because I had no idea what I wanted to do after I left school. And then I managed to get a job in a law firm um, over in Canterbury, which used to be called Harmon and Harmon, then um, moved over to Fairweather's with the lovely Nick Fairweather, who is um, now the president of the Kent Law Society. So I started off there. um, I found that firm Um, Very, very inspirational, and um, my interest started from there, really. I moved around several law firms as a legal secretary for a little while until I had a break from maternity in 2009. And when I returned to to work, got a job with the firm I'm with now. We were then called Kent Defence. We're now Tucker's, part of Tucker's solicitors. Um, So, yeah, started there as a secretary and was bitten by the criminal law bug. So I'd worked in various areas of law. Very interesting, but criminal is for me. So, I decided almost immediately after working there that this is something that I wanted to pursue. So, enrolled in university, very grateful to my firm who are really supportive. Um, so, yeah, enrolled in university, studied part time, essentially not the u- usual university experience. I attended classes under the cover of darkness. <laughs> um, so, our classes were in the evening, like seven till nine, I think they were. So, twice a week under the cover of darkness studying. That took six years and then graduated in 2017. Um, and then sort of was a bit of a crossroads there because you have a few options after law school, LPC, there was no SQE back then. Um, LPC, I didn't quite know what I wanted to do. And obviously, it's very expensive. But I ended up taking the Silex route um, and qualified as a chartered legal executive which is essentially the same as a solicitor. A lot of people don't actually know the difference. Um, there isn't a difference. It's just the, the way that you study. It's more a specialist route rather than a, a generic LPC cover all the modules type course. Um, so while studying with Silex, again, part time, all flexible. I've got, I had a, you know, I've got, I've got a daughter at home. So. Um, I needed it to be a bit flexible plus I'm working full-time and um, I undertook the police station accreditation too so it's all sort of all come very very nicely sort of to, to the beginning of this year where I've qualified I've done all my courses and um, and at the beginning of this year I had to do my advocacy rights as well so now we're all done Um, but yeah it's been a bit of a long slog but really worth it I'm really pleased I did it the way I did it Um, very stressful as I'm sure you can imagine at times but um, yeah just really pleased to um, I've got one more tiny hurdle to jump which is the duty solicitor qualification but I'm just very pleased to be towards the end of it now rather than right at the
0: beginning yeah (laughs) and I I just love that and congratulations on, on everything you've done you know it's such a progressive story you know there's tenacity in there there's motivation you say it's stressful you know you've kept going you know six years studying at night time you know there's, there's a lot of commitment there and so you know good for you and truly well deserved and let's go back to to university then because you, you did study at the university of kent you did law which module did you most enjoy studying whilst you are on, under darkness
1: Um, I think the law of evidence was my favourite module. We had a great tutor, um, Darren Weir, um, who works at the University of Kent, um, and who sort of brought the whole module to life, really, Um, brings in his wig and gown for people to try on for legal arguments in class. I I remember that quite vividly. And that, I mean, that's obviously going to be one of my turning points, one of my... You know, I'm at uni. I know I like criminal law. And then the module just, it, yeah, it came to life. It was brilliant.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. And you mentioned, obviously, and I mentioned in the intro as well, that you previously worked as a as a legal secretary, I believe, at the likes of Waitman, Strethers, and you mentioned Fairweathers as well. Um, You know, how did being a legal secretary differ between each of the firms, if at all?
1: I mean, generally, it was the same kind of role. So we're doing the same things day in, day out. Um, my work at Strethers was very interesting. Um, I worked for a lawyer who dealt with litigation and disputes in relation to works of art. So that was quite a niche area of law. Um, so that was really interesting, actually, um, because I'm quite nosy. I think um, I, quite, I quite like um, finding out what's going on with people. I really like working with people and talking to people and finding out what's going on. So, I mean, this is probably why I've ended up in criminal law, right? <laughs> but... Um, but um, no, that was. I really found that very interesting. Um, but to be honest, um, if you can be a legal secretary somewhere, you can be a legal secretary anywhere. Um, the skills that you pick up are so transferable: organisation, um, you know, talking to people, dealing with queries. It's all part and parcel of you know of the work of a lawyer. So it's a it's an excellent stepping stone.
0: Yeah, because that's what I was going to say. You know, because we we haven't had many people on who have sort of had that experience and then obviously gone on to to qualify. So I I, I love it. So you know, what it would be like a typical day or you know what are the, the responsibilities you have because, like you say, it's given you such a great grounding to go on to where you have today.
1: Yeah. So a typical day for me is um wake up not knowing where you are, or what's going to happen that day. Obviously, things in criminal law it's quite a fast paced; things happen very quickly, so um it's hard to plan. But I mean, there's a, clearly there's a degree of planning that, that goes on, but it's hard to sort of plan in terms of your logistics where you are going to be that day. So. My typical day would be if a client has been arrested, um, would go to the police station to represent them. I'm I'm now on my feet in court, very, very new in court. So, um, yeah, still quite a a scary environment, but really enjoying it. So, yeah, court hearings too. Um, So just in the magistrate's court, so first hearings, um, adjournments, bail applications, sentence hearings, that sort of thing. They're all for... um, Relatively um, straightforward offences in the magistrate's court. But at the police station, I'll deal with any type of offence. So it could be anything from, you know, shoplifting, a very minor shoplifting offence, all the way up to murder, of course. Um, and I actually dealt with my first murder at the beginning of this year, so I feel like that's a that's a good one to be ticked off because if you can do a murder in the police station, you can do anything. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I tip my hat off to you because you are doing such tremendous work. And but I want to talk a little bit more about the the route into getting there because you mentioned, and obviously you studied at the the Silex and uh, you know law school. can you tell us more about Silex and and and, and that route specifically?
1: Yeah, it's recently gone over a bit of a makeover. So I studied um, underneath what they call the legacy route. So this is the original route. So I had a law degree. So I, I jumped in sort of halfway through the legacy route and did um, the diploma, which essentially means that you um, have to do three modules, one either being client care or legal research, um, and two um, sort of subject-based practice modules. So I chose family and criminal law. But if you're starting from scratch with Silex, if you've got no legal experience or qualifications whatsoever, you don't actually have to have a degree at all. You can work your way up through training with Silex. Um, But they've, like I said, they've just had a makeover. So they've now um, got a new route called the Silex CPQ, um, which incorporates um, advocacy rights into it too. And it's a more streamlined way of studying. They've made it a lot simpler. Um, And it's a lot cheaper than the LPC as well. So if you know which area of law you want to work in, um, Silex will essentially guide you through, and uh, you know, make you the, the specialist lawyer that you want to become.
0: Yeah, no, and thank you for sharing that. Cause I think it's it's fascinating, and we need to give more exposure to you know these these different routes, you know, because law we're trying to make it more accessible, more affordable to so many people um, across the globe, and particularly here in the UK and England and Wales. So I'm um, really pleased that you managed to, to sort of highlight that so well. And you just again drilling down a bit more because before this role, obviously you were the the chartered legal executive. So I'm just keen to know about skills Skills that you did learn specifically, and how did those skills translate into becoming an advocate as well?
1: Um, I don't think anything can really prepare you for advocacy. I mean, because I did uni the the part-time way, I didn't really participate in any societies or any mooting or anything like that. I think advocacy, um, you know, you can train yourself for it at university. If you're a full-time student and you're there during the day, then, you know, but I mean, you have to be taking part in moots and competitions just to prepare yourself for public speaking. Um, I done none of that. So I felt like when I was on my feet in court the first time um although I was quite nervous um I've done things like this before so um work on social media um obviously my work with women in law has given me um, the confidence to speak in public too um and I, I do quite like jumping in you know jumping in the deep end so I do like to be challenged so I, I although I had zero experience in speaking um you know officially no competitions no training or anything like that um then I I think I think you just you just need to do as much as you can to prepare yourself for it. I mean obviously if you're training with the bar school they have you know all the, all the aspects that you need for advocacy there they'll train you up for it there's there's examinations on it but in the way that I've done things um no exams for me but yeah um, I quite enjoy a challenge I'm always once I've ticked something off as you, as I'm sure you can imagine from my journey it's it's been it's been quite long so once I've, you know, jumped one hurdle, I'm always looking to the next. So even though I'm towards the end of my journey now, um, I'm thinking, what can I do next? So, yeah, I just take it take it as a challenge and I just really enjoy it.
0: Yeah, no, and good for you. And uh, I, I love it because you're so progressive and like I love that mindset of what next, what next. So congratulations. And you also do other things. So, you know, in your recent article, Inspiring the Next Generation of Criminal Defence Lawyers, you state the most rewarding part of my job is ensuring justice is delivered. So from your view, Gemma, how is justice delivered and is this reliant on lawyers providing clients with knowledge?
1: Well, absolutely. Yes. I mean, that's quite a heavy question. I don't even know where to begin with my answer. But yeah, I mean, I think for me and um, as I'm sure, Rob, you've seen on my Instagram page, I'm quite keen to tell as many people as possible what their rights are. What the police powers are, the definition of criminal offences, because a lot of people just have no idea. If you're not working in this sort of environment, if you know nothing about the criminal justice system, you're ill-equipped to deal with it. So if the police wanted to stop and search you in the street, the majority of people wouldn't know what the police can and can't do, What sort of, you know, the tick list of things that the police have to do to make it a legal stop and search. Um, so first and foremost is knowledge. Um, secondly is making sure that everybody has access to legal advice. Um, In the police station, um, everybody has um, the rights to free and independent legal advice. So no matter how much money you've got in the bank or, you know, your status you're entitled to free independent legal advice. Um, Not so much at court. I could do a whole podcast on legal aid and legal aid rates and legal aid cuts. But yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go into that today. But yeah, the legal aid rates are so low and the legal aid threshold for applicants is also very low. So yeah, justice is only done when everybody has access to legal advice and that unfortunately is not the case at the moment but a good starting point like i said is is getting the word out there spreading the word. So everybody knows at least that if they are questioned by the police whether it be under arrest or they're asked to attend the police station um, as a volunteer. So just to pop in um, as the police say for a quick chat, um, then you are entitled to legal advice and it's completely free. So why wouldn't you have it? It's free legal advice. It's somebody who's on your side, giving you the advice, helping you um, through what can be a very stressful time.
0: Yeah. And it's it's a really great point. So I remember once um, somebody sort of killing, you know, people were like, well, do I need it? And then I think one of the judges once said to somebody, you know, who was unsure about legal advice. Would you go to a heart doctor and say you're going to perform the surgery by yourself on your heart? You're not, right? And that's the kind of reality when it comes to that. So you're absolutely true, you know, take it. It's there, they're there to help support, protect, you know, and, and make sure you understand your right as a system, particularly here in the UK. So thank you for highlighting that. Time for a quick break from the show. You wouldn't leave a potential client waiting in your office for three days. But what about when it comes to returning potential clients phone calls, emails, or even web inquiries? If you're not responding rapidly to those who inquire about your firm's services, you could be losing money, losing clients, and affecting your law firm's reputation. Thankfully, there's a resource from our sponsor, Clio, that can help you called... How to grow your firm with legal client intake. It's a free guide that will show you exactly how and why you should be automating your client intake process. Download your free copy at clio.com forward slash UK forward slash free intake guide. That's ClioClio.com forward slash UK forward slash free intake guide. Now back to the show it's amazing how you know you've picked up all these things and just built your skill set over time so and you're with that you know you have over 10 years of criminal law experience you know as a criminal paralegal dealing with various offenses from the police station you know particularly magistrates court and crown court so two questions you know firstly what's the difference between magistrates and crown court and you know have there been any memorable cases you would like to share with us if you can
1: so every single case starts in the magistrate's court. Um, The magistrate's court is the lower of the two that deals with more simple offences. Sometimes they can be um, complex in nature, but they are essentially offences that carry a lower um, sentence. So if the magistrates deem it appropriate to send it to the Crown Court, if it's a serious matter, or sometimes you can choose to go to the Crown Court depending on what type of offence it is and, and what kind of sentence you might be looking at, um, then your case will end up in the Crown Court. So the Crown Court is clearly the more serious of the two, which deal with more serious offences, um, usually um, carrying prison sentences. So the Magistrates Court have um, a sentencing power at the moment to sentence um, people to 12 months. It's just been increased from 6 to 12. And the Crown Court have unlimited power, so obviously giving out life sentences as the um, as the biggest one I can think of. Um, so... Um, Memorable cases, well, this is a tough one because we're not really allowed to talk about um, cases. Um, So, I mean, we've had some very interesting cases. And what I will say is that working in criminal law, you develop a very um, inappropriate, dark sense of humour where some things to, you know, the ordinary Joe may be deeply offensive, but, you know, you have to have a giggle about it, otherwise we'll be very stressed and crying in the office Um, because we deal with very difficult cases um, sometimes very upsetting, you know, they can involve children, um, they can be serious sexual offences, things that have happened that are extremely traumatic. So I think, um, in order to work in criminal law, you have to have, um, Quite a thick skin, be very resilient, but to be able to laugh
0: at things that are disgusting. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's it, you know it's, at the end of the day we're all humans, aren't we? So you know I think it's in, in, important that you know it is it is it is a heavy job and responsibility, um, and you know you have to be understanding of that. But at the same time, you know being able to try and enjoy and have a bit of bit of fun with what you you, you do is also important. Mm-hmm. And I know you don't want to talk too much about it today, but just want to bring it back a little bit because you are incredibly passionate about criminal law. And in your recent ask with LawCareers.net, you detail whether criminal aid lawyers are dying out. So can you explain more detail what your perspective on this is?
1: Yes, I mean, there's extensive research that's been undertaken by the Law Society. Essentially, last year, the average age of a duty solicitor, so somebody working in criminal law who can, who can deal with duty cases at the police station and the court, is 49 That is a really high age. I think the Law Society describe it as um, the retirement time bomb. So there's two prongs to this. So the first is that there's a very low level of students who have an interest in criminal law. There's no one coming into the profession. So the profession is getting older and older. The retirement time bomb, I mean, if we think about what's going to be, you know, where are we going to be in 20 years' time? A lot of these people are going to be retired. And if we have nobody new coming into the profession, we will essentially die out. If you look at Cornwall, for example, 74% of their lawyers who work in criminal law are over 50 already so I'm quite keen to promote criminal law for students yes it doesn't pay well if I wanted lots of money I wouldn't be a criminal lawyer I would end up in commercial um, but it's something that you have to be passionate about that you enjoy doing So that's why I do it. I love doing it. Um, I really, really enjoy it. I I like helping people, um, you know, that essentially that it could be the worst day of their lives if they've been arrested for something, you know, for something serious, even if it's for something which I would deem trivial, it could be, um, you know, mortifying for them, they're under a lot of stress. Um, They need some assistance and that's what we're there for. Unfortunately, the job does come with long hours. So I do my office hours, I go to court during the day, I go to the police station during the day, but I'm also on call. So my office, I mean offices do it differently, but my office have a rotor where I'm on call probably one out of every five to seven days and sometimes all weekend. So there are sacrifices that need to be made because you can't, sometimes you can't plan things. And anyone who works in criminal criminal law will know um, that plans with friends often get disrupted. Um, your family members have to be you know um adaptable let's say um you know plans will get disrupted um you work long hours it's very very stressful um but it's so rewarding when you've had a case where somebody had you know that they've been falsely accused and you've managed to have their case dropped by you know by speaking to the police or the prosecution. Um, or when you you know that you've got your client a really good result, even if they've pleaded guilt, they've done something wrong and they've pleaded guilty and you've managed to get them a good result, which is worthy of, you know, what they've done, a recogn- recognisable punishment, essentially, um, it's so rewarding. Um, So, yeah, I'm just really keen to get the word out there to students. Um, It it is a viable career path. It has to be something you enjoy. Doing a job like this without the enjoyment will be very, very difficult. Um, But this retirement time bomb, it's only going to be a matter of time before people are at the police station there's nobody to come out and see them there's nobody to give them that legal advice they may end up getting charged and going to court there'll be nobody to come to court with them um you know your solicitor might be over 100 miles away particularly if you're living somewhere so rural down like down in Cornwall um numbers down there are quite low anyway um but yeah it'd be nice as well I think for younger clients to have somebody to relate to um Essentially, if, you're, if your solicitor's turning up and he's, you know, 65, 70 years old, um, you know, if, if you're 18, you're not going to relate to that person. So it's, it's important to have a, a diverse profession in terms of age, you know, race disability, so that you have those people to relate to. And unfortunately, where the numbers are so low, it's hard to be diverse.
0: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, you're doing something about it because you obviously are trying to appeal to a younger audience and and raise visibility. And obviously, one of the best ways to do that is obviously to turn Mm -hmm. to digital and to turn to social media. And as you mentioned, you are the founder and director and secretary of Women in Law Kent. What is your organisation about and what do you hope for members to gain from joining your organisation?
1: So Women In Law Kent is a group of women in law who live in Kent and work in Kent um we essentially our aim is to empower support and connect women who work in Kent we're not just open to women we're open to everybody who shares the same belief that you know essentially women need a helping hand we need to support each other um and obviously we do that through networking and training so um I founded the group back in 2020 it was literally I think like two one or two weeks before we went into the first national lockdown so it was unfortunate timing um but we had a big um uh, launch event where lots of lawyers came along so we had students solicitors barristers um of all ages come together um, and just meet each other and it was more of a networking opportunity really just to launch it and sort of see see where it goes um we're now two and a bit years into it and we have uh, we we're now a limited company we're a not non-profit organization we don't make any money from it um it's essentially a hobby of ours that we like doing to benefit ourselves and others. Um, and we're our, our online and offline community is is rapidly growing we've got a really lovely committee of women who um, organize an events and um, we're sponsored by local law firms um so yeah it's just, it's just a really positive environment um, for people to get to know each other and share stories um, and give each other the confidence to, you know, essentially be the best we can be in our careers um, and compete with you men.
0: Ab- absolutely. And I, I love it. And I love that you're doing so much um, with that and you're collaborating. And, you know, we talk about the importance of community in everything. and you know, That's something we're passionate about, the Legally Speaking podcast, is trying to build this community and trying to humanise the legal profession and give people as much thought, leadership and, and inspiration that you know change is happening so with that with um you know women in law kent you know what future events do you have planned or what are you thinking about if you haven't got any planned just yet
1: sorry rob i lost you there
0: um can you hear me now i can yeah Okay, cool. Do you want to just maybe go to audio, stick to audio, um, and then I'll just re-ask the question for you? Yeah. So talking of um, Women in Law Kent, you know, what future events do you have, if any, would you like people to know about?
1: So we have um, we have a few events coming up this year. Well, I'll keep some of them secret for now because there are announcements to be made. But our next event is going to be, we are going to be part of the Pride Parade in Canterbury, which is the, the city in the middle of Kent. Um so we've got um some spaces available to be in the actual parade. So we're gonna be all glittered up, um, handing out leaflets and goodie bags to our members and we're gonna be encouraging people to meet us at the after party. So we're gonna have a big parade through the town and then we're gonna be meeting up in a place called Dane John Gardens afterwards. It's a garden essentially at the other end of town where there's going to be a massive celebration. So we're really, really happy to be part of this. It really mirrors our values within Women in Law Kent, which is inclusivity, support of others. So we, we're absolutely buzzing to
0: be a part of that. Yeah, and I'm excited for it. So um, this has been a fascinating conversation, uh, Gemma. i love learning more about your story and journey and where you've been and what you've been up to and what you're currently doing and where you plan to go. So finally, what advice would you give to those in the legal profession or wanting to go down the Silex route, qualify as a chartered legal executive advocate or generally interested in criminal law?
1: Well, I think first and foremost, you have to speak to as many lawyers or people who work in the system, you know, the justice system, or you know whatever area of law it is you want to work in. Try and speak to as many people as you can to find out what it's actually like to work in law. Um, try to attend as many networking events as you can. Make some you know, valuable network connections online. Don't just connect with a load of people on LinkedIn and expect things to come to you. You have to build relationships um, and get involved. You know, If you're at uni, for example, get involved in societies and keep in contact with people. I just think the more people you speak to, the more knowledgeable you will become. Um, I've, I've used that to my advantage. Like I said, I went to the university under the cover of darkness, so I've used social media to my advantage, making connections online, um, which is led some really amazing opportunities, um so yeah, I just think get get your name out there, make some valuable connections um find out as much as you can about the areas of law you're interested in. Of course, work experience and the usual advice, but um, making those valuable connections will, you know, put you a step ahead of the others, let's say.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And if finally, if our listeners want to learn more about the Silex route or Women in Law Kent, what would be the best way for them to contact you? Feel free to shout out on social media or web links, and we'll also share them with this episode for you too.
1: Lovely, thank you. Yeah, so um, you can find me on pretty much all platforms. I'm Gemma Legal Exec. Um, and we also find Women in Law Kent on all of the social media platforms. Um, although you'll have to excuse my ignorance on TikTok. I mean, I'm trying my very best. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you can find us anywhere. And if anyone's got any questions, please feel free to reach out. I'll be happy to help
0: anybody. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much, Gemma. It's been a real pleasure having you on the show. But from all of us on the Legally Speaking podcast, wishing you lots of continued success with your career and future pursuits. But for now, over and out. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you like the content here, why not check out our world-leading content and collaboration hub, The Legally Speaking Club, over on Discord. Go to our website, www.legallyspeakingpodcast.com, for the link to join our community there. Over and out.